Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now for the opportunity to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. We're honored that we can come into this space and learn from you and know you more. And so this is a unique opportunity we have, and we'll treat it like that. We'll treat it as if this, is a, this space is a stewardship, this time is a stewardship, this moment is a stewardship. It's in, with that in mind, Lord, that we ask that you would speak to us, that you and your divine mercy would come down through the power of your spirit and you would open the heart of the one that doesn't know you. And you would revive the heart of the one that has lost hope. And that you would bring down the mind and the heart of the one that has become proud. And that for all of us, we would hear from you today. And that if we've lost perspective and if we've lost hope, that today would be the day that revival would start in our hearts. And so we ask even now, Holy Spirit, Speak in a way that only you can speak. And when we walk away from this place, we know that you have spoken. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, So one of the things that I have found that has made me more of a graceful person in my life and more kind is I've found that people generally want to change. Like when you really talk to people, They want to be different. Even if somebody has hurt you, even if you've got family members. I mean, many times when I talk to people about their parents, you know, your dad didn't hold you up and say, man, I cannot wait to destroy your life. I can't wait to give you some wounds, right? I mean, more times than not, no one really wanted some of the tragedy and the trials they may have caused. Nobody wants to be unkind for the most part. A lot of times people have had either things happen to them or there's just things they can't change about themselves. And you know, if there, if there was a way we could just change ourselves, right? If there was a button we could press. If there was a program, a code that we could just find out, we would change. We'd break those habits. We'd stop doing those things that we find ourselves falling into so easily. I have found that everyone has innate desire to change or to be changed. I think about uh, no matter if you are from the iPhone ministry or the Samsung ministry, I don't want to cause division in this place, or you don't have a phone. How about that? You don't have a phone. Um, All right. Praise the Lord. I don't know what that was, but somebody's phone has said amen. But, um, But one of the things that I find interesting about the iPhone And I think what has captured the imagination of our country and even our world is this idea that you can get a new version, right? That that the the camera might be different, that the button might be someplace else, and that they're always making these adjustments and all of a sudden you get a new version. And then they trip you out because even when you get a new version, when you plug it into the MacBook, 
they do these things called updates. And I don't even know what they do half the time. And they're called things that make no sense to me. Catalina, what is a Catalina? I don't know. Monterey, just is the phone working better? Praise God. But it's fixing all these bugs. And I think that's what actually causes us to have so much energy towards these phones. You can get a new version. And when you get a new version, you can get an update. And I think it's really an innate part of who we are. We want to be new. We want to be updated. We want change because here's what we know. Something is wrong. Now, you don't have to be a theologian to know that. Something's wrong. And if we were to just all look at all the news that's going on globally, nationally, and locally, we would say something isn't working right. And that's essentially one of the core definitions of what sin is, that things aren't working right, that the world isn't working right, that families aren't working right, that relationships aren't working right, that health is not the way that we want it to be. Health care is not the way we want it to be. Peace is not the way we want it. We know innately the world isn't working right. And you can look globally and say, man, Russia might invade Ukraine. You look nationally, you say, man, uh, black coaches want to be head coaches, but they can't find themselves a job. You look uh, locally here in, in New York City, and there's uh, an increase in gun violence. And we, we, what all the news are covering are problems. And they keep saying something is wrong. Something's wrong in our world. And what the Bible says is the core problem is sin. And no one would have a problem with that. No one would have a problem with the problem of our world is sin when we talk about it from the standpoint of the news. But the other side of sin isn't just the world isn't working right. The other problem with sin is we ain't living right. Now, when I say we're not living right, I'm not just saying about God. Like, I'm not saying, oh, you're not following all the commands. You know that already. I'm saying you're not doing right by God. You're not even doing right by grandma. <laughs> like the things grandma told you to do, you're not doing that. Not in full. But here's the deeper part. You're not doing things you know are right. Because you recommend things for people that you don't do. You're like, I'm a vegan, only on the weekends, right? You just, you have all these issues that you, you listen, you promote principles you cannot fully practice. So <laughs> the problem of sin is not just we ain't, you know, the world ain't working right, which we would all say and we hear all the time. The problem of sin is also we're not living right. And so the good, the, the, the news that is covered is always covering a problem, but it's not covering the deeper problem happening inside of us because this week you had a problem. Somewhere you had a personal problem. The news didn't cover and what this book, this book called Romans, which is written to the city of Rome, is going to cover what we call good news. And the good news, the phrasing of it is called the gospel. And essentially, when you would have news, you would have a town herald that would come, and they would be a town crier, and they would yell out news that would be helpful to everyone in that town, everyone in that city. And what Paul constructed was good news 
that could help globally, nationally, locally, and personally. It's the kind of news that would affect a world that's not working right and people that aren't living right. It's good news. And the good news is Jesus makes us right with God. That standard that you cannot keep, Christ dies for your sins and he forgives you. Jesus makes us right with God. But the other side of the good news is not only that he wants us to be right with God, but he wants us to make things right in the world. And so the other side of the gospel is that these problems that we see in the world are now healed through his people. Yes, the gospel would be that God's people are made right because of Jesus Christ's death on a cross, but also too, God makes the world right through us. That's good news. And that good news is what stimulates us to have churches and clubs, amen? Because we wanna tell everybody about Jesus. That's the good news that we feel that, that caused us to move here to start a church. Because the good news changes lives. And I believe that some of you came to hear, here today for life change. And we believe it has power to change your life. The city of Rome had a tragic issue. And that issue was they had a community that was very divided. Within this community, you had Jews and Gentiles. The Gentiles had essentially taken over the church. There was a gentleman named Emperor Claudius, AD 49. Emperor Claudius saw that Jews and Gentiles were having issues with one another. So what he decided to do was have an edict where all Jews would have been removed from Rome. When he did that, the church in Rome became 100% Gentile. Essentially what that meant is all the Old Testament practices, having their community in a synagogue, all of that ended. And now Gentiles had church in home and they never went to the synagogue. And that happened for years. So by the time Paul writes this letter, Jews had started making their way back into Rome. So Paul is dealing with an issue where they have all these little divisive issues of how much, how Jewish do you have to be in order to know Jesus? Do you have to worship in a synagogue? These were their divisive issues. So the reason why we named this series Good News for Everyone, because we don't want to just talk about how this is good news. We want to talk about how it's for everyone, Jew and Gentile. And in a city right now, and a country right now, and in a world right now, where I am amazed at how much the ball keeps moving on what divides us. Because politics used to just divide us quietly. Then Facebook Tabernacle started. <laughs> and then what was done publicly now, privately, was now done publicly. And I've been amazed at how, whether it is politics or health concerns, vaccines, or even masks, I've been amazed at how much has divided us just as a country and a world. And so here's what Paul did. One thing you'll find in this 
book is he doesn't talk about unity a lot. He talks about the gospel a lot because he believes that the gospel will create unity. He believes if we all can believe the power of the gospel, then it will transcend our micro divisions because we have a greater plan. And that is my hope for you. Because some of you come in here this afternoon, maybe deconstructing your faith, reconfiguring, reimagining what you believe. Maybe you come from a a hard issue at a church. And what I want to offer you today is that those are issues we need to discuss and be concerned about. But I want to get to the core, the core of what we believe. In other words, at, at core, there's something we believe that unites us that's greater than political, racial, and personal divisions. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it can change everyone in your neighborhood, everyone in your home, everyone in your job, and it will change your life if you believe. Paul says in Romans 1.13, if you have a Bible, go there. Or you can look on the screen. In Romans 1 and 13... Paul has been essentially introducing himself and talking about his personal motivation for ministry. If you look in the first 10 verses or so, he's introducing himself, talking about his past, talking about his calling to be an apostle. But as you work your way down here, he says in verse 13, we have to remember this is a personal letter he's writing. In verse 13, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Notice how he says among you and Gentiles. Again, he's dealing with the divisions and the strife. And what Paul is essentially saying is, I am a missionary and I go on journeys and my ultimate desire would be to be with you physically. But since I can't, since I've been prevented, I'll just write this letter. It shows how personal the gospel is to him, how much he desires that they would know God personally, that they would be together, that it's different to write a letter than to be with someone personally, physically, to see their face, to connect with them emotionally. It's amazing that we even have this opportunity in the midst of all this that that we've been through, that we can be together physically, emotionally, and connect. That's how personal this is to him. And if you notice what he says is, my desire is to reap a harvest among you. And what he means by that is, I am coming to Rome to see you face to face, and I want to see God's Spirit change you. That's what he means by harvest. I want to see some of you, I believe that when I preach the gospel, that some of you will see a change in your life. You'll desire change, and I want to reap that harvest. He says, but some of you, some of you will know Christ." for the first time, and I want to be there to see it. Let me say this. At the end of our message, we're going to make a call for some of you to lift up your hand if you have not believed, or if you've been going to church and maybe your belief has waned and you want to start again. Maybe you want a new version of you. Maybe you need an update. Either way, He offers that transformation in you. We want to see a harvest today. We want to see God make change. We'll make that call at the end. And some of you may have that working on your heart. We pray that the Lord would work on you in that way. 
the text goes on, and Paul is going to share why he is so passionate about the gospel. He says in verse 14, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. Paul does not shrink away from the divisions. He leans right into it. And he says, essentially, I cannot divide myself to be on one side or the other. He says, in fact, I am obligated. It's my obligation to preach. That word obligation is, we would say, indebted. I owe it to you to preach the gospel to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul would say, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul says, I have to do this. I'm constrained if I don't tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why does he feel so constrained? Why is he obligated and why is he indebted? That's the ice, not a gunshot, praise God. That's going to happen about two more times. We're in a club and it just does that. That's the fridge. I've already, I've already just winced seven times. Finally, I said, that's ice, not a gun. All right, so we'll all adjust together. We'll just treat it like an amen. All right, that's what we'll treat it like. Um, so why is he under constraint? Why is he obligated, right? Why is he indebted? Because when something has been good to you, when something has been so transformative in your life, you can't wait to share it with people. You do that with restaurants. You do that with clothes. You do that with music. You, you, I mean, the best is when somebody loses weight and they become a trainer, like out of nowhere. They're like, let me tell you about my weight loss journey. It's like, I thought we were just going out for coffee. Like I did not, like, so what you want to do is be in a caloric deficit. You're like, oh my gosh, I thought we were just hanging out, you know? And so it's like this weird thing. What we want, we always want to share good news. Because when something has changed you, transformed you, and been good to you, you can't help but share it. Paul is not explaining the gospel. Listen to what I'm telling you. Paul is explaining an encounter he's had with Jesus. This is not an explanation in total. This book is not a book of theology. It is a personal letter written to people for them to understand what's happened in his life so they can happen in their lives. The gospel, therefore, is something that we feel obligated to share because I want to see people know God personally. Not because I'm better than them. Not because I've lived right. Because he's good. And his goodness has changed me. His goodness has changed me in the way that I see my marriage, his goodness has changed me in the way that I father and I parent. His goodness has changed me in the way that I see my city. His goodness has changed me where I've experienced his mercy. I have peace now that I didn't have before. I have a life I wouldn't have had before because of the mercy and the righteousness of Jesus. So I'm obligated because I want you to experience what I've experienced. That is what Paul is essentially saying. And we are tempted to shrink back and either not share it at all or only share it when it's safe. This is why he says, I'm obligated under both. He's essentially saying Greeks and barbarians. Greeks 
when he's saying Greeks, he's not talking about just people from Greece. He's talking about those that spoke Greek. They, that, they would call this phrase, they were Hellenized. And essentially, they were living under Greek philosophy, Greek culture, and Greek language. And those that spoke Greek essentially looked at themselves higher than other people. And so when you spoke Greek and you understood Greek philosophy, it was as if you were leaning into the divine. It was as if you were understanding God's thoughts. That's how high people thought of themselves. And that's how things work today. Those that are more monetarily fit or intellectual can tend to think of themselves higher than other people. And so this is what you have to understand when he says here, he said, when he says Greeks or barbarians, you have to understand the word barbarian is actually a pejorative. It's actually a dis, all right? When Greeks would hear anyone that didn't speak Greek, they would make fun of them. So if you've ever gone somewhere and you totally didn't understand the language, sometimes you can kind of make a, uh, a gesture of how they sound, Right? And that's what barbarian means because Greek-speaking people would look at each other when another person outside of a Greek-speaking uh, place would come and they, they would essentially look at each other and say, oh, listen to how they sound, bar, 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 bar. So the word barbarian is what you call an onomatopoeia. It's a word that sounds like something, right? It's, it's a word built out of a sound like sizzle or choo-choo. It's, it's a word built out of a sound. So barbarian is actually... <laughs> Barbarian is them saying, look at them saying bar, 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 bar. They sound like they're growling. So barbarian is actually a, it's a diss to anyone that didn't speak Greek. And so essentially what he's saying is, I know there's a whole community, y'all say he says bar, 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 but I'm going to preach Jesus, 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 even to them. And what he doesn't ever want is for the gospel to be quarantined for it to become isolated to one community. That, and that can happen even though we have diversity in our church. It may not be black and white, but it may be rich or poor. It may be educated or uneducated. You see, anytime the gospel is preached, we always run towards safety. And what we always want to do is we want to always be on the edge because at the end of the branch is where the fruit is. So we always want to be breaking into other communities. And that is our tendency to shrink back. It's our tendency to see people from afar. And that's what he did. And this is why, essentially, there became a black church and a white church. You know, in this month of black history, we have to even consider why was there a black church in the first place? The only reason why there was a black church is because black folks could not worship in spaces with white folks. This started in the 1700s. Richard Allen. Richard Allen was a preacher in Philadelphia. And he was preaching at a church. And while he was preaching there, he would go out throughout the city preaching the gospel. As he preached the gospel, his black counterparts would start to get saved. And as they got saved, they would come into the church with him. They relegated blacks to only the 5 a.m. service. So you really love the Lord. Amen. <laughs> but the church started filling up. Because as he preached the gospel in the center of the streets, people started to become changed. People started to become whole. So they came to church in order to hear that same gospel, only to find out that they could only hear it at 5 a.m. Richard Allen then fought for them not only to be in that service, 
but that they could be in the service with, with other folks. As he did that, they said they could only sit in one section. And in that, in that day, Richard Allen started the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And that's when the black church started. It wasn't because we wanted heavier bass in the music. It's not because we wanted to, none of that. The black church started because the gospel got quarantined. You see, the good news is for everyone, but sometimes church isn't for everyone. And so what we have to do is we have to guard ourselves from ever creating an us and them. Because we will be tempted to do that. You say, well, man, we got diversity. Look at all these complexions. Look at all this. There's no, and I'm telling you, I'm not just talking about complexions or melanin. I'm saying there's always a temptation to create division. Always. When I, when I preached, uh, I used to preach at a church in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Everybody got dressed up, you know. Women were wearing hats. Uh, you know, that, that one sister always had candy. That, that woman, she was there. We had that, that, we had old school church. So then I went to Atlanta, and that was skinny jean and coffee church, you know, where everybody's in there, and church is mad quick, and there's a few amens. It was just different. It was like, cool. So one Sunday, somebody was getting baptized, and their grandmama came, right? She brought that hat and them candies, right? And so this is the funny thing. When I was in Raleigh, North Carolina, at that old school church, if somebody walked in with jeans, they would look at them and be like, mm, look at them. And I say, see, y'all judging people. We need to dress down so we can be for everybody. I go to this skinny jean church. We're dressed down. And she walked in with a big hat on. They were like, look at her with a big hat. And I was like, you know what? It's not about dressing up or dressing down. It's the posture of our hearts. Dress cannot address the issue of our hearts. Complexion does not change the issue of our hearts. We'll always want to quarantine the gospel. We'll always want to create division, and we'll use anything. We can create cool and uncool. We can create rich and poor, educated or uneducated. And we have to work. Our church will not be for everybody, but the gospel's for everybody. And we've got to make sure that we're doing anything we can to preach the gospel because it's for everyone. That's why Paul says, I'm obligated, wise, foolish, Greek, barbarian. Never let it be said that divisions are comfortable in our church. Never let it be said that you're uncomfortable in this place because of who you are. I want, my prayer is that all cultures would feel that they could thrive here. Whatever culture you're a part of. Whatever ethnicity you're a part of. My prayer is that you could thrive. You can be in love with Jesus and in love with your ethnicity at the same time. I love being black. I do. I love being black. Black man. I hope, you're, I hope you love being Caribbean or Puerto Rican or whatever. It's, it's, a little, it's a little awkward to say you love being white, but we'll just kind of say, we'll just, listen, if you're, from, if you're from Chicago, just say you love from being from Chicago. Well, it's a whole nother history lesson, okay? I don't have time to go into that. 
The gospel is meant to penetrate cultures, ethnicities, races. And so I hope we can always be an expression of that. We are uniquely centered in downtown Brooklyn. And so we must be for the city, for the city to experience Jesus. I want you to feel confident bringing a friend. I want you to feel confident bringing a friend. And tell us if there's something that's, if there's something that's an obstacle, tell us. I can't say everything can change, but it's good for us to know because we don't want an obstacle towards the gospel. The gospel, though, will create obstacles in your life if you preach it. Amen? This is what Paul says. I am, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, if Paul had said that I'm excited about the gospel, then we would say true because you just talked about how it changed your life. But interestingly enough, Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And when he says he's not ashamed, he is speaking from the experience he's had as he's preached the gospel around the world. When Paul was in Corinth, they called him a fool. When Paul was in Thessalonica, they drove him out. Paul has been imprisoned for the gospel. They've laughed at him because of the gospel. All things have happened to him. He goes into detail in 2 Corinthians how he's been beaten and ashamed. In Berea, he was left for dead. All this happened because of the gospel. Because let me tell you something about the gospel that is very different than any other religion. The gospel is not trying to give you a tool for a better life. It's not just a helpful assistant. The gospel begins with talking about you. Not just the problems in the world, not just the problems in the globe, not just the problems in New York City, not just the problems in your home. You. And the gospel begins by saying you have a problem. It exposes our hearts. And when you expose the hearts of men and the secrets of men, they get offended. We are not called to be jerks. We are not called to be mean. But the gospel does say you have a problem. And that is why Paul was imprisoned. That's why Paul was given so much shame. And so all of a sudden, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And what Paul is essentially saying is that when you tell people about Jesus, and you tell them the authentic work of Jesus that can happen in their life because of the sin in their life, you must realize you will be shamed. But don't be ashamed. You will be laughed at potentially. You'll be rejected potentially. And they'll think of you as being potentially mean-spirited. But even though You'll be shamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The innate temptation, because of shame and because of embarrassment, 
is to change the gospel and make it more palatable for my friends. You see, we change an offensive message so we can have better friendships. It is our temptation to avoid feelings of rejection. And so we'll alter the message and we'll make it easy. We'll alter the message to keep my community. And yet, he's saying twofold. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, not because I'm strong or proud. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of what it can do. He says, it is the power of God unto salvation. The word power there in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. And so he says that the reason why I'm not ashamed, the reason why I will go through and get beat and imprisoned and called a fool is because I know that it has this dynamite power that can be in someone's life. Explosive power. And that explosive power, what it causes is breakthrough. It breaks through habits. It breaks through excuses. It breaks through cities. And it breaks through to the point where it can transform your life. That breakthrough has happened for some of you where at one point the gospel was just a message you heard. It was something grandma was saying. Some of you have been raised in church. You've been around church. But it's not till you have a personal breakthrough that you know the power of the gospel. You cannot work off someone else's power. You've got to experience the power of the gospel for yourself. A personal breakthrough where he becomes alive to you, where the message becomes real to you, where the Bible opens up to you. It is a breakthrough. And this breakthrough, this dynamite, this explosion that happens in your life changes everything. And if the gospel only alters your thinking but doesn't radically change your life, you haven't had a breakthrough. You haven't experienced the dynamite. You haven't experienced the explosion because he'll blow up your life, but he blows it up to make you better. Because now the righteousness of God is over your life. You don't have to perform anymore. You don't have to be strong anymore. You've got a father now that loves and cares for you. You don't have to be perfect because he was perfect for us. And breakthrough can happen for you. The dynamic power, the explosive power of the gospel. This is, though, where Paul becomes exclusive in the text. Because he's been talking about Jew and Gentile for those who believe. But lastly, this is what he says. He says that this is really not just for Jew and Greek. We'll get into that later. But it's for everyone who believes. He doesn't say the gospel's for everybody. He says it's for everyone who believes. What I have found in, in preaching here for eight years, growing up outside New York City and experiencing folks, is the reason why the good news is ineffective when explained, when heard, even when read, 
is honestly, people don't feel they need the good news because they feel like they know it already. Whenever I tell somebody I'm a pastor, there's this moment where they start telling me about their lives, like about their religious life, which I don't ask. They're just, that's, it is definitely volunteered. And so I'll be on a plane somewhere and I'll be like, yeah, you know, so what do you do? I'm actually a pastor. And they'll just be like, they'll be eating their, their peanuts or whatever, like, yep, yep. You know, you just, you, you, you be a good person. You know what I mean? Like you do right. It's karma, right? It's like, and I don't even know what to do with my face because I totally don't agree with them. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and I don't know what to do because that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the good news. You're talking about good advice. You're talking about Jesus as a teacher of morality. I'm talking about the savior of my righteousness. See, if you already know, it's not news. That's why the root word is new. It's news because it's something that comes to you. It changes you. And so oftentimes, people don't respond to the gospel because they think they already know it. They're like, oh, Buddha, Krishna. Yeah, I mean, they're all the, they all do the same stuff, just like, you know, just like Jesus remixed it a different way. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Jesus is the son of God, and he came on earth he lived 33 years. He died and he rose again. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And he will change your life. Not just give you advice. See, the problem is people think they're getting good advice, not good news. But then oftentimes, people will come into spaces like this because life got hard for them. And they're really not looking for a savior. They're really looking for a genie. And they just want a wish. They don't want prayer. They want a wish. And they're just really saying, I'm here because of rent. I'm here because of my problems. I'm here because the world ain't working right. And so I, I need a genie. And I'll, and I'll pay you that money. And I'll do your hands lifted high. And I'll read that Bible. But I'll do that conditionally as long as I can shine that Bible, shine that prayer, shine that music, and I got to see good things happen for me. You see, the gospel is not good news. They just want a better life. And when the good news actually comes into your life, when you understand that you have a problem, and that, yes, the problems are out there, but the problem is also in here. The gospel amazes you. It changes you. And moreover, it transforms you. And you become a new version of you. And so today, Paul says, for those who believe, that word written in the Greek is, word, is written in a way that it's active. In other words, he means, do you believe? But he also is saying, do you still believe? Because some people start off so strong, but they wane because life gets hard. Do you believe? Or do you still believe? I wonder if you'd stand with me this morning. And today we want to offer you that message that Paul states so eloquently that it is the power of God. It is dynamite. 
explosive power for your life. And this morning, we offer to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe? Do you still believe? And for those of you today that you are uncertain that you believe in, when I say certainty, I don't just mean if you die, will you go to heaven? I mean that, is he Lord? Is he the leader of your life? Do you believe? For those of you today, I offer you Jesus, the one who came, died for you, rose again on the third day. Do you believe? For those of you today that want to give their life to Christ and say, I want to make him Lord, I wonder if you'd raise your hand. Just raise up your hand today. For those of you, I see that hand. I see that hand. For those of you today, for those of you today that want to give, I see that hand. I see that hand. For those of you today that want to give their life to Christ. I wonder if we could do something. If you've made that decision, why don't you start coming, make, making your way down. Just make your way down. Just make your way down. And while they're making their way down, we still offer you today. You can come right up, come right down here to the front. Let's move this out. See, this is the harvest. Amen? This is the harvest. This is a harvest today. Just make your way down. And then there are some of you, you say, I want a new version of me. But some of you say, I need to be updated. See, I, I believe, but I don't believe like I used to. I need a personal revival in my life. I don't still believe. I don't have that same belief. For those of you today, that you saying, today, I want to be a milestone where I begin to walk with God in a way that he is my true leader. Just raise your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Why don't, you, why don't we do this? All of y'all come right to the front, right here. Just come on up. Let's give it up for this harvest. Amen? Come on up. Come on up. Right here. Come on. Who else? Who else? Come on down. Come on down. You want that update today. Come on down. Let's give it up. Let's give it up. Let's give it up. And some of you, listen to me. Listen to me. I explicitly heard while I was praying over this message, when I got to, I was in the dentist's office. And when I was in the dentist's office, I had been studying. And the, the broadcaster said, listen, there's, man, all this bad weather. He says, there's pruning. There's a lot of pruning happening right now. We, we got to prune. He says, but the harvest is coming. And I explicitly heard. I mean, I felt like the Lord was telling me there's a harvest here. That's why I said it beginning, because I sense that's what God's doing. Now, this is what I want to tell you. You have friends, family members, relationships with people that are ready to be harvested in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm saying that don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Don't just invite your friends to church. Don't just invite your friends to church. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to persuade them with your life. I want you to feel obligated to tell people that Jesus has changed you. Don't just tell them you go to church. 
tell them Jesus has changed you. He's transformed you. He's been too good not to share. And here's what's going to happen for some of you. Some of you are going to invite someone and you're going to be praying over them. And I'm going to make the call of salvation and they're going to come forward. And you're going to go, there goes the power of God unto salvation. And you're going to see the goodness and mercy of God this year in ways you've not seen it before. And we're going to see a harvest in 2022. Amen. There, listen, this pandemic has happened. People have been isolated. But listen, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. For those of you here, my ask of you is that later on that you would go right up here to the backstage pass. We're going to do a conversation for new visitors. I ask that you also, if you're already sitting there, just hang out there, but go up there and we'll talk to you right after. But I'm going to pray for all of you. Amen. I'm going to pray for all of you. In the Let's pray for them. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you create new versions of us, God. You call us a new creation. And so we ask right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, transform these lives. In the name of Jesus, would you give them a fresh start? That they would look at today as the day that they started with Christ and that he became Lord. And that they no longer played games, that they no longer played church, that they no longer wanted to just sing songs, but they wanted a new song in their heart. Transform them, God. Well, this is your harvest, Jesus. But then, for those that may have, they've, they've had moments with you, but they truly want to see transformation in their lives. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would control their life. That right now, the Bible says, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the sinful nature of the flesh. That even now for these folks, the Spirit of God would enliven their lives, wrap them up, God, so that they would be carried along in this life. Oh, God, give them that update. That souls would be saved. That lives would be changed. The gospel would be preached. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's give it up for the harvest today. You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. As we sing, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you this year, this year. Make this year the year. Make this year the year that your identity with Christ is now your primary identity. That you're more upfront with people about Jesus. Not belligerent, not overbearing just unashamed. This year, be unashamed. This year, be unashamed. Amen? Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. 
If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.